All right. Hey, good morning, church. How are we today? Feeling good? Feeling good? All right. All right. Hey, uh, a couple of weeks ago, my family and I uh, loaded up into a plane. Me and my wife are... Uh, two-year-old and our four-month-old, and we flew down to Orlando, Florida. We spent a week vacation where we met up with 18 other people and enjoyed the happiest place on earth. Yeah, where's my Disney fans at? I got any Disney fans in here? Yeah, you people are cultish. I'm just gonna say it, okay? Like, some of you guys are a little over the top. I saw you down there, and I was wearing a weird matching shirt, but you guys are a little crazy out there. Uh, I love it, man. Uh, We had a fantastic and yet crazy trip uh, together. We did all four of the parks that were down there, but kind of in the middle of our week, uh, we decided we'd take a break and do something a little different. Uh, We did in the morning what was called Chef Mickey, right? This is another way that Disney uh, gets your money, Uh, but also (laughs) helps out by having like this breakfast where you can meet Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and Donald all at a very, very very socially distant manner um, for breakfast. And then that night, we were gonna do uh, this Christmassy celebration at the Magic Kingdom, right? You got extended hours and shorter lines and festive treats and special offers and all this cool stuff that we'd be able to do. And it would have been an incredibly magical day had my two-year-old not gotten a stomach bug. Yeah, we, uh, we went to Chef Mickey, and we watched them clean up her, her puking, and uh, we tried to go to the Christmassy celebration and, once again, watch them clean up her puking, and we went back to our hotel room where we had a lot of people helping us to clean up her puking. All right, yeah, it was a real fun time that we got to do. Um, what was interesting, though, is as chaotic as it was, as crazy as it felt at that time, I noticed something special about all of these Disney crew members, as they're called. Each and every single one of these people had a role. Whenever we needed help with our issues that were going on, uh, everybody knew what to do. Nobody was caught off guard. Nobody was surprised. Everybody had a job. They knew their job. They knew the job of their coworker really, really well that the cleanup crew was there uh, to try and help out, but they weren't redirecting guests to go somewhere else, right? At no point in time did Donald Duck stop what he was doing, dancing in the middle of breakfast and come check on us, right? He had his job of what he was supposed to do. Uh, And if you were in hospitality or reception at our hotel, you just kept flooding our room with towels because you recognize we needed towels, right? So like they were consistently there, but everybody knew their role. And because everybody knew their role, and they were extremely effective, and they were able to help us, and yet they were able to keep everything that is Disney continuing to be Disney. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking all about design, mainly this idea that we serve a God who is a God of design, that he has plans, that he is purposeful, that he is intentional, that he knows what's best, and that a lot of times, man, we struggle with that idea. And we've seen uh, the past couple weeks how this plays out with with being a man and with being a woman. And and I'd encourage, man, if you've missed the past couple weeks in any way or you haven't seen the podcast, check that out. Facebook, YouTube, the app, the website, uh, they're all on there. There's some great, great challenging stuff uh, that I would encourage to look at that. Past couple weeks, we've also done uh, this thing where we've set up ground rules for our topics during this series. Uh, We've got three ground rules. Uh, The first is, uh, hear what I say, not what you think I say. Uh, or assume what I mean. In fact, you have the opportunity right there in the North Point app uh, if you want more clarity to ask a question and we'll address it in the podcast later on this week. Uh, so hear what I say, not what you think I say. Uh, that being said, what I say doesn't matter. 
kind of a weird rule, right? Uh, but what I say doesn't matter because you have to go back to Scripture to check it out and make sure. Everything goes back to the Bible. Uh, we also say this is an elbow-free zone. In other words, how do these topics affect you? Don't be thinking of somebody else. Don't try and put this on somebody else. Own what we're talking about and see how it actually affects you. It's also important for us as a church to recognize, man, we've set up a couple of guardrails for how we do everything. Uh, guardrails are important because we see on the highway, right, guardrails will keep you from running off the road and crashing and burning or, or being in a lot of pain or, or destruction. And so we've set up guardrails as a church. Uh, and it's important to know those, right? Our first guardrail, we would say, uh, is the authority of Scripture, that it's what the Bible says is what matters. That if we have questions, and we're gonna go to the Bible. If we are looking for how we should proceed on a certain uh, subject or a topic, man, we are going to go to the Bible. So that's our first guardrail. Our second guardrail, uh, we would say, is the unity of believers. And we recognize that we all come from different backgrounds, that we have uh, different preferences, and, and we may look at things in very different ways from one another. And as long as we're going back to the Bible with it, man, we can be unified as believers that we are striving to move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. And so it's kind of with those parameters in place today that we are going to actually dive into the roles in the church. The roles in the church. What does the Bible say about roles in the church? How does that functionally play out here at North Point? And what does that look like for both men and for women? See, we would say that the Bible clearly states that there uh, are two main roles in the church. The first is one that we're, we're probably most familiar with. Uh, we usually are commonly referred to this as, as pastor, right? We would say this is the pastor. And pastor, uh, if you look at the original language, literally means shepherd. It's a shepherd. Most of the time when we use the word pastor, uh, a lot of us tend to think of a vocation, that it's somebody on the church staff's job. They are the pastor, but that's not necessarily true, and it's not necessarily how it's laid out in Scripture. In fact, if we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, it equated the role of, of overseer with that of pastor, that the term pastor or shepherding is used when referring to elders or overseers several times in the New Testament. And you can use whatever uh, term that you want to be able to use, but for us here at North Point, man, we focus heavily more on the term elder. We use the term elder. In fact, if you were to, to look at kind of our org chart of how we're all broken down, uh, Rick is the only one who has pastor in his title, which is funny because it's actually not his favorite term. And the reason that Rick gets to be so special as pastor is because he is an elder of our church. And so here's the thing, knowing that Rick doesn't like the word pastor, if you would do me a favor and go all dead poet society on him. So when you see Rick, just say, oh, oh, pastor, my pastor, okay? <laughs> I would love it. He will hate it all the time, and I will get so much joy, right? Right? Like, he just made Buckeye jokes. You guys can do this for me, okay? All right? Here's the thing. For the leadership of our church, we use the term elder. Elder. And it's called overseer in a lot of places uh, in the Bible. We see examples uh, in Acts chapter 20 of the Apostle Paul calling for the elders to meet with him. Uh, and when he does that, we see a few verses later that he refers to those same people, those same guys as overseers. That in Titus, Paul tells uh, him to appoint elders, but uses the term overseers when he gives qualifications for the elders here. See, as, uh, as a role in the church, the Bible doesn't actually give a specific amount or number of elders that should be leading a local church. But what we understand from it is that it's clear that there should be more than one 
person. See, all throughout the Bible, we see examples of a plurality of leadership in God's design. In fact, if we go back to the Old Testament, uh, there were multiple elders in the nation of Israel, that the church was led by 12 apostles, that in Acts chapter six, seven deacons were chosen to serve, that having multiple points of leadership or having multiple elders is a wise principle that is given in the Bible to, to aid in adding perspective, to help protect from blind spots, and so that really we can assist one another. See, we have no example in the entire Bible of one elder or one pastor leading an entire local church on their own. Jesus sent the apostles to be out in pairs, and he talked about the need of having somebody with you that can pick you up when you fall down or pick you up when you struggle. And we recognize this, right, in like every single part of our lives, that there is no such thing as a self-made man or, or a self-made woman. We all stand on the shoulders of other people who have helped us and guided us and taught us along the way. And God's design for eldership, it's the same way, that it takes multiple people here. In fact, the Bible speaks pretty clearly uh, on the authority of elders as the leaders of the local church. Uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul states that elders are to have authority in the church, like how they have authority in their own homes. The home is actually the proving ground of character and prepares for leadership inside of the church. It also states that an elder who leads well will be given a double portion of honor. What does that mean? It means, man, that we need to recognize and take care of good leadership, that if you have the right person on your team, man, you wanna make sure that that person stays on your team. The author of Hebrews also appealed to the local church and he said, hey man, obey and submit to the leaders of the church. Man, don't make it hard on leadership. That trust and obedience in church leadership uh, at its core is trusting somebody who cares deeply for your spiritual health and well-being. You wanna make it easy for elders because they absolutely want what's best for you and what's best for our church. Uh, there's actually qualifications to be an elder. We can find qualifications uh, for an area in two areas. And we're actually gonna look at that here today. We're gonna read together. Uh, as the Apostle Paul was actually getting towards the end of his life, towards the end of his ministry there, uh, he wrote to Timothy and Titus, two younger guys uh, who were leading churches, and he wanted to give them instructions on, on how to lead well inside of the church. And so he wanted to tell them things to look out for and how they could surround themselves with other people that are gonna stay on mission, people that are going uh, to be driven to, for the benefit and the growth of the church. And so part of his writings to these two guys are instructions about roles inside of the church. So we're gonna look at it here. First uh, Timothy chapter three, it says this. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, we call it elder, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and, and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
so that's, we also see, uh, that's his instructions to Timothy. We're gonna look at Titus here as well, Titus chapter one. Uh, Paul wrote this, he said, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. For if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. See, as we look at these qualifications, what does it, what does it mean to be able to be an elder here listed? The focus the focus is on who the person is and not what they do. That being an elder, being a leader inside of the church is driven by character. See, a lot of organizations uh, in our culture, they're driven by the bottom line. What skills you have that create growth or your ability to add to that bottom line? That what skills you have that create uh, value to the organization or the company. And the problem is that thinking is backed by the belief that the skills and the added revenue outweigh any potential character flaws that a person may have. In fact, it's why we see so much abuse and pain and misconduct in so many well-known organizations every single day. Being a leader in the church, being an elder, doesn't start with your abilities or skill set but rather it starts with who you are in Jesus. In fact, the only qualification that has to do with skill set is that an elder must be able to teach and correct false teaching. Part of being an elder is that you are a guardian of the word of God. One of the most encouraging things that I know about our eldership is that we have guardians of the word of God. About a decade ago, North Point went through uh, a trying time went through some, a rough season, just some struggles, that there were, there were issues inside the church that caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. Some of you guys were here, you remember that, you know that. The elders at that time, man, they would spend multiple nights a week trying to find ways to, to fix problems, to seek direction, to, to plan out the right steps. And, and most of the time, that meant staying up several hours into the night. It's because of their leadership that the church man, was able to move through a hard time. Even though it wasn't about the skill set, it was the character that guided our church through a hardship. And it's so important that eldership starts with character. Uh, we see from scripture that uh, elder has four roles that they actually fulfill. Uh, first of all, they lead. Elders lead. First Timothy pointed out the need for an elder to lead in the church like they would lead in their household. That means that the, as the church goes, the elders go. It's an incredible honor, but it's also this incredibly huge responsibility placed on leaders. That James 3 warns that many people should not teach or should not lead like elders or pastors because they are gonna be judged with a greater strictness. That's a humbling thing to keep in mind for our elders or somebody who wants to lead within the church. And there is honor to it, but there's responsibility as well. Uh, second thing that the elders do is they actually shepherd the church. That means that they protect from false teaching that could cause hurt 
or could cause pain. And it means visiting those who are hurting or visiting those who are sick and, and praying over them. It means following the example of Jesus as the one who is willing to lay down their life for another. And there is a, a great amount of a care involved in being an elder. There's a selfless love that just requires a lot from them and their families. We see third, that elders are called to be able to teach the word of God, that they have to know scripture and be able to communicate that out so that others can understand and grow in their knowledge. That elders' understanding of scripture is similar to like laying out a map on a journey. Scripture guides the eldership to make sure that the church is headed in the right way and stays away from the wrong path or stays away from getting lost or whatever may happen. And finally, uh, elders' job is to equip others for ministry. Man, they're to raise up the next generation of leaders and disciple makers in the church. That every single leader is going to come to the end of their time in leadership. Doesn't last forever, right? If you get closer to retirement, if you see it in your job and there's a change that happens at the top or at any level, like there is a point in time where leadership changes and you have got to be raising up the people behind them. It is important that yet elders have poured into others who are gonna continue to take up the mantle and continue on with the mission that's before them. And we see this in the Bible. Uh, we see Moses handing the mantle off to Joshua. We see Jesus handing it off to the apostles. We see the prophet Elijah handing it off to the prophet Elisha afterwards. And having the greatest impact for the kingdom means being able to pass on to the next generation. Eldership is an incredibly important Role. So how does this play out then? How does this function here at North Point? Uh, we currently have five elders at North Point. You may have noticed them or seen them before, but we want to make sure you have that down. Uh, Carrie Bayshore, Steve Houston, Jeff Kimmy, oh, pastor, my pastor, and Vic Virtuo. That's going to be so much fun. I want that to catch on, right? Uh, these guys are our elders. And here's the thing. As a church, we follow the leadership of these five guys. We follow the leadership of these five guys, man. They meet often to discuss what we are doing as a church with the resources that God has entrusted us to both build up the believers and to reach out with the gospel and the communities. They are analyzing to make sure that, man, we are still on mission with God's calling and we are still teaching his word in the right way. They pray for those of us that are a part of the church. They step in when there's an issue that maybe needs to have some correction. They keep accountability for the staff. They, they lead, they shepherd, they teach, and they raise up other leaders all the time. You've probably seen some of these guys uh, around serving in hands-on capacities, whether it's giving communion or, or, or in another area or greeting or whatever it may be. You may be worshiping next to these guys all the time on Sundays and not have recognized it. Pray for these guys. Pray for these guys. They have an incredible responsibility and a deep love and calling for our church. And God is working through them to build and grow and move in our church. And as a church, and we can willingly submit under the authority of the eldership because it's God's design that he's placed for us. That at the very root of it, our trust is not in the people serving as elders, but rather it is in God. And it's in his design of using elders to lead his church. And when God is our desire, 
then we can trust his design. The other role of our church, right, uh, is that uh, laid out in the Bible, is that of, uh, of deacons. The Greek word here uh, is da, daakonos. I'm horrible with Greek, daakonos, right? Oh, pastor, my pastor will get me for that one later. Uh, but what it really means here, uh, literally interpreted, is servant. Servant. So we have elder, pastor, overseer, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they're the leaders of the church. But the deacons, man, the deacons are the servants of the church. And the word used for deacon in the Bible uh, shows up 29 times. And only three or four of them does it actually refer to any kind of office holder in any way. Uh, we have a prototype for how deacons uh, came to be in Acts chapter 6. Uh, that there was an issue in the early church uh, where Greek widows were being neglected from having their physical needs met. Somebody had to intervene. Somebody had to serve these women, but for the leaders of the church to be the ones to do it, it meant that they would have to actually stop teaching the word of God and stop leading the church to fix this problem. And so instead, they rose up uh, seven men from among the church to serve and meet the needs of the church, and we see in Acts uh, chapter six, verse three, the, the leaders, the eldership there said this. It said, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of, of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So they started this idea, this prototype of deacons in Acts chapter six, and then as, as time passes and, and churches begin to grow in a lot of different areas and regions, uh, Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy and he laid out a more in-depth guide for what it means to be a deacon. It's still foundationally the same guide that was used in Acts chapter six. Uh, Paul actually provides a little bit more detail in here, probably because the church has seen some issues in that time period. They've seen some struggles that have arisen and Paul wants to speak directly to what good repute and full of the spirit and wisdom would actually look like. And so we see uh, qualifications for a deacon here in 1 Timothy 3, eight through 13. It says this, it says, deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, and here's the thing, some versions read the women, and we're gonna come back to that here in a little bit, but it says likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons, each of the each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you've been paying attention to these verses, you're gonna see that the qualifications for an elder and a deacon are fairly similar to one another. However, there is nothing for deacons that, that would talk about teaching to be a part of it. There's also no comparison of the church and the family for deacons like there would be for elders. Here's the thing. This passage at times uh, can get a little messy. It can get a little messy. And the different churches uh, and different leaders have landed in some slightly different places with how deacons play out for men and women and as a result what that means. And so what I want to do is I just want to take a second and I kind of want to dive into the language of scripture and, and kind of show where we've landed as a church. See, a lot of the language debate comes around verse 11 and the word gune. Gune. The word is used several times in other places in the Bible to simply mean women and several times to mean wife. Some would hold uh, that the idea that gune means wife and so only men could be 
deacons. And that would fit well with verse 12 that, that indeed says a husband of one wife, or in the original language it says a one woman man. However, if we go all the way back to Acts chapter 16, uh, we have an example of a woman named Phoebe who Paul refers to as a woman deacon or a deaconess. See, here's the thing. Scripture can't contradict itself. If the Bible is true, then, then all of it has to be true. We can't have a text that says men are deacon in one place and then an example of a woman deacon in another. That if Phoebe wasn't supposed to be a deacon, it would have been acknowledged in Acts. And then it would have been spoken out against. But that's not what happened. That's not what happened. It's why we as a church would argue that the word uh, guna here in verse 11 doesn't actually mean wife, but rather it means woman. So we would read verses 8 through 10 to be qualifications or character qualities that both male and female deacons should have. And that verse 11 then speaks directly to female deacons that they should be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And then verse 12 is speaking to male deacons, that they should be a husband of one wife, that they should manage their children and their own households well. See, the language in this section then we would say speaks to both men and women, just to women, and then just to men. We also have an example of a female deacon, and so that means that men and women can serve as deacons in the church, that God has servant roles for, for men and women to plug into and to build up the body of believers under the leadership of the elders. Now, here's the interesting thing. There is no female differentiation in the qualities of eldership. There is no female elders in the Bible. And so we as a church hold that eldership is only for men. And if we're being honest this morning, culturally, kind of stings a little bit to hear that. When some of us hear that, like it just doesn't sit well. We ask, hey, hold on a second now. How in the world could that be right? Does that mean that women are less than men? Women are less capable than men. Something has to be wrong. Why would the Bible say that? Are you sure about that? Can we get somebody else's opinion? Right? There's something about it that just doesn't sit well. And you know what? I get that. I do. I get that. I've wrestled with that. Our elders have wrestled with that. It's why this entire series, we consistently say, when God is your desire, you can trust his design. It's why we have the guardrails that we do. First, that it always goes back to scripture. It's not about what culture says. It's not about what some famous uh, leader or famous author says. It's not about what we feel. We look at the Bible and see what does it say. Second, we then hold to this idea of unity of believers. Unity of believers. Like I said before, this passage is a bit messy. There are things in the Bible where people in local churches uh, have landed in slightly different places based on using scripture. And when that happens, we recognize those things to just be smaller rocks. And we stay together as believers in pursuing the big rocks. Now, for, for us as a church, we have big rocks. You can find them on our website. But we would say uh, we've got, uh, I believe it's let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six big rocks. Five big rocks? I can't count. Five big rocks, all right? Five or six, somewhere in that area. Uh, we would say that the Bible uh, is one of our big rocks. It's exactly what God wanted us to know about him and about life and is the source of truth for what we think and how we should live, that the Bible is how we know God and how we know life. 
We would say that God is the creator of all things, that he is infinitely perfect and he is existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We would say that Jesus Christ is God, that he came to earth to die in our place in order to pay our our penalty for our sin and is waiting to take those of us who are pursuing him to heaven to be with him forever. We would say that the Holy Spirit is a permanent resident with every believer from the moment of salvation, that he provides every believer with, with gifts for service and with the fullness of God's power to make him adequate for living. Uh, we would say that people, meaning mankind, are created in God's image, that they have sinned and are now saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And finally, we would say that salvation, uh, it's also being described as being in a right relationship with God, that God loved us enough to provide a fix to our broken relationship with him, and we believe that this fix comes in knowing Jesus in a personal way. So when it comes to deacons, man, this issue of being a deacon can be a small rock because it's not a sin issue. It is rooted in scripture and because the mission of the church at large is to grow closer to Jesus and to spread his gospel. So if you feel a little uneasy about elders only being men, I would say this. God is not putting forth something that he hasn't already molded for us. It's not a values issue, but a role issue. The Bible says that eldership is a role for men and is asking women to submit underneath that role. And we see the idea of submission in roles uh, in a lot of places in Scripture. In the Trinity, we see that Jesus, uh, who is completely God, submitted to God the Father so that he could redeem mankind. That doesn't make Jesus any less than God the Father, but he still submitted in role. See, we can submit to male eldership because when God is our desire, we can trust his design and because Jesus has molded role submission for us. So when it comes to deacons, we don't have a specific office or, or committee or a team of deacons at North Point. Some churches function in that way, and man, that is, that is great. That's great. But for us, we don't have a team, but we have deacons, because we have people all over our church, men and women who are serving the body of believers in the church. We have life group leaders who are opening their home to pour into the lives of others. We have uh, people who are intentionally pouring into the lives of children and students every week to teach them more about Jesus. We have people that work so hard on keeping this facility so that we have a place to gather and worship and learn together. All of these servant roles and so many more are filled by men and women who are acting as deacons. So why in the world are we talking about elders and deacons this morning? What does that mean for you? See, I think it's important for us to know, but I also think there are some really tangible things that we need to do as a result of these passages. And first, and I would say, we've got to pray for our elders. Not because they're great men or the smartest men or really anything about them. They have flaws. Ask their wives, right? Some of these guys are Spartan fans. They need prayer. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> One of them's a Buckeye fan. He needs a lot more than just prayer, okay? <laughs> I mean, pray for these guys because it's the design that God has placed in our church. 
The trust is not in these men. The trust is in God and that he can use them to lead us, to teach us and equip us so that we can grow closer to Jesus and we can spread his gospel to DeWitt and St. John's and Langsburg and Lansing and East Lansing and everywhere around us. So pray for our elders. Secondly, I would say consider how God wants to use you. First Timothy chapter three says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Man, God may be working in the lives of some of our men right now to prepare you to be an elder. Man, when you read this passage, when you hear these words, why in the world would you not want to be an elder? And we talked about the design that God had for men, the wiring that he placed in us. When we read this here, man, it should stir something inside of us to want to pursue that. Now, not everybody's gonna be an elder, but when you look at the qualifications and the impact of eldership, it should stir something inside of you that says, man, I, I wanna be a part of that. And I'd encourage, be prayerful about it. Study 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. See what the qualities are and ask God, hey, God, help me to become that man. Help me to have those qualities. And if you wanna use me to lead, God, prepare me now for that because our church is always gonna need godly leaders. And I truly believe there are men in this room right now who God is working in your life to prepare you for leadership. And finally, for most of us, God has just given us the opportunity to be servants. Our church is stronger and more impactful when we graciously are serving to meet one another's needs. I would challenge each and every single one of us to act as deacons, not only using our skills and abilities and opportunities, but recognizing the call inside of us to be men and women of character. It's so easy to learn a skill or to make time or to, or to contribute on a team, but making a difference, that starts with growing to be more like Jesus. God has created a design for leadership and servanthood in his church, and we all have an opportunity to play a role. And when God is our desire, we can trust that design. See, I saw that Disney World function incredibly well because everybody knows and is bought into their role. If you're a princess or Nemo or Buzz Lightyear, man, you act like that character. If you're on hospitality, you help people. If you're on, uh, on guest relations or, or cleaning, you drop off all the towels to our hotel room. Everybody knows their role at Disney World and it thrives, and it grows, and they're able to add on and do more and more. See, knowing your role in the church allows you to thrive and grow and creates opportunities for us to do more and more as a church. So pray for our leaders. They care deeply and have an awesome responsibility that, man, affects all of us. Pray and be aware of how you may need to serve to meet the needs of others in our church. See, a church with godly leadership that's selflessly serving has the ability to build up on the inside, to impact on the outside, and to raise God on top of all of it. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to say thank you, God, for your design of, of elders and deacons, Lord. And God, I would just pray specifically for our elders and our leadership, God, as they pursue you and your design and what you have for us here at North Point, God, man, that you would empower and strengthen and, and just, God, surround them with wisdom, with guidance, with love, Father. Help them to lead well and help us as, as a church to, to lift them up, God, and to serve one another. 
God, with humility, with compassion, with care, using the opportunities that you've given us, God, but allowing it to be rooted in a character, Father, that is passionately pursuing you, Jesus. And there is none like you, God. We give you all of us, and we love you with all that we have. We pray in your name, Jesus.